0: And welcome to the U Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best selling author of the book U Turn Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. I wrote the U Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. I'm so careful about putting things into my body these days, and this is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my wellness. They are organically farmed, gluten-free, and have absolutely zero THC in their products. It's just a clean CBD to help you ditch your stress sleep better and soothe anxiety. My absolute favorite product of theirs is the orange cream gummies. They also have raspberry and strawberry, which are really good. And after about two weeks of having one gummy every single evening with CBD in it to treat my little sweet tooth with a dessert, I can't help but notice that my sleep has drastically improved every single night. I actually wear a ring to measure my sleep and it's just undeniable what these little gummy friends have done for me. And without THC, you're just getting the calming effects of the CBD plant, none of the high, which is why they are so safe to take. They each come in 10 milligrams or 25 milligram doses of CBD to calm you down from the day in the sweetest and tastiest of ways. And the best thing about them is that they don't taste at all like CBD. I once tried another CBD gummy bear from another company and it was like, whoa, it tasted like I was eating a skunk wrapped in marijuana and sugar. So anyway, I've come to love these little gummies from Soul CBD. And as a way to love myself, to use whatever resources exist in the world that help me be more well as a human, these are so one of them. So our friends at soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystallcom slash soul, it's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L dot com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them and don't forget to use the U-Turn code at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get into this week's
1: episode.
2: But alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and it ruins millions of lives every year. Some people just shouldn't drink at all, right? And, and well, I certainly don't. If you don't drink today, I don't suggest that you start drinking. What I do want to do today is if you do drink to help you think through how you're drinking, and what you're drinking, and when you're drinking.
1: You turn friends. I'm so excited to bring a really special guest onto today's show. We have Todd White, who is the CEO and founder of Dry Farm Wines, which is pretty much the only wine I drink at this point, having tested positive for Lyme disease and all sorts of autoimmune situations. It's so important that I drink the best when I am going to give myself alcohol. And so I was really excited to talk to him about the wine industry and what it's doing to you when you drink things that you don't realize about alcohol and the quality of alcohol. And then of course, I want to ask him a lot about dry farm wines and how it got started and um, what are the perks. And just so you know, his brand is organic, biodynamically grown. It's dry farmed with no irrigation. It's sugar-free lower in alcohol, and it's grown on small family farms. It's additive free. And that's huge given that there's over 70 additives approved by the FDA. In winemaking, it's friendly in keto and paleo diets, lab tested for purity. So there's just a lot of magic in their wines. And so without further ado, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thanks. Super happy to be here.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, any podcaster has got to ask you what is it about wine that got you so devoted to this brand and creating it?
2: Well, about six or seven years ago, I've been a biohacker for the last twenty or thirty years. Biohacking is, for those who don't know the term, is the defined it as the art and science of how we alter our behavior to positively influence our biological or neuro- neurological outcome. The most common biohack is probably just a diet. I've been into biohacking and fitness and performance enhancement for 30 plus years before it was even biohacking. I've just had a lifelong interest in it. About seven years ago, I started experimenting with a therapeutic ketogenic diet. And that's a super high fat diet, low protein, very low carbohydrate. Today, I practice what I would consider to be a modified ketogenic diet, which looks more like the Atkins diet, if you will.
1: Can you explain a little more about that? Like you said, high fat. When I heard high fat, I thought about like a ribeye steak, but then you were saying not so much.
2: Moderate protein, because protein will also, if you eat too much protein, it will also convert to uh, glucose as well as carbohydrates do, or at least simple, you know, starchy carbohydrates. And all vegetables are carbs. So people say, oh, you eat a super low carb diet? What we're really saying there is that we're eating low glycemic carbohydrates, so carbohydrates like leafy greens that don't easily convert into mm. elevated blood glucose. The, if you believe in if you believe in this line of thought about eating on ketogenic diet or maintaining a lower blood glucose, the real objective is to maintain a very steady or low blood glucose. Therefore, not causing your pancreas to dump a bunch of insulin into your bloodstream. In order to lower your blood glucose, and then insulin is also a fat storage hormone. So I come from a school of thought that the beliefs largely that most chronic disease is related to two things: an elevated insulin level, too high blood glucose, and and second of all, stress, uh, cortisol. So I, I think most chronic disease are tied to those two issues. And so if we can you know, use meditation or other practices to keep us calm uh, and breath work to keep us calm Then, and then maintaining lower blood glucose. So that's kind of where my life has evolved over the last couple of decades, really a focus on eating a super low carb, moderate protein and higher fat diet. Today, ketogenic diet is the number one search diet term on Google. But 7 years ago nobody knew what the ketogenic diet was and it had started to emerge in the biohacking circles and so i had began experimenting with it primarily it had reached biohackers and then consequently the mainstream primarily through the work of one important scientist at the University of Florida his name's Dr Dominic D'Agostino. and Dominic was able to bring the ketogenic diet to biohackers and then it He participated in bringing it a lot more into the mainstream. But when I did this, I started to have adverse effects from drinking. Now, I've only been drinking wine for the last 25 or 30 years. Before that, I also drank spirits. But for health reasons, I believe that we should drink less alcohol, not more, which is the reason, as you know, all of our wines, when we'll talk about this, are 12.5%. Or lower, we sell wines as low as 7% alcohol. So we sell wines between 7 and 125 American wines today average around 15% in terms of alcohol content. It's really important. This is shocking to most people to hear me say this, but alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin, and it ruins millions of lives every year. Mm-hmm. And some people just shouldn't drink at all right and And well I certainly don't if you don't drink today, I don't suggest that you start drinking, and I'm not here to what I do want to do today is if you do drink and if you that to help you think through how you're drinking and what you're drinking and when you're drinking, mm. right? So it's just really important if you're going to drink to lower the alcohol. first of all, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get high. It just means that you're going to have a more gentle brain effect and you can actually drink more without having negative consequences, right? Because the inherent amount of alcohol is just lower. So uh, when I started doing this therapeutic ketogenic diet, I, I was having a difficult time drinking, wasn't enjoying it. It made me feel bad. Now, it is a common side effect for many people when they experiment with ketogenic diet to have uh, a lower lower tolerance for alcohol. Not everybody, but some people experience that side effect. For me, I I just wasn't enjoying drinking. So, I quit drinking for a while. and That didn't really work. I didn't really enjoy that either because I really love wine. Again, we'll talk more about this. I don't love alcohol, but I love wine. Now... For wine to taste like wine, it has to have alcohol in it or it doesn't taste like wine. So I was at the time considering, I live in Napa Valley or or used to, and I was considering making a low alcohol wine because I thought it was really alcohol that was the problem. And in part, it was. But so I asked a friend of mine who's the smartest person I know in the wine business was like, how low can I make? alcohol and wine and have it still taste like wine. And he said 9%. I think it's more like around seven and a half or eight. He asked me, have you tasted any of the low alcohol uh, wines coming out of Europe? And I was like, no. So I started down this journey because I really wanted to drink less. I mean, less alcohol. And just didn't think it was having as positive an impact on my life as I wanted to have. I thought it was having a negative impact so I wanted to drink less alcohol so that began me down this path of looking for these lower alcohol wines in that process I accidentally I didn't know a thing about natural wine which is what we sell and drink and we'll talk about what natural wine is in a moment and that's a very confusing term to consumers because i say oh i drink natural wine and they're like aren't all wines natural and they're not for reasons I'm going to describe to you in a moment, but natural wine is a well understood term today. it wasn't then, and so i natural wines have become very hip and fashionable now because they're they're whole and pure, and they've just taken on a life. but at the time, nobody knew what a natural wine was, but i I discovered this American his name's Josh Adler, who was living in Paris, and Josh used to work for my favorite organic market in San Francisco. And I had stumbled upon Josh quite accidentally through discovering the wines he was importing. And I called him in Paris and I said, Hey, I really like your wines and they're lower in alcohol and they are delicious. And he's like, Oh yeah, they're natural wines. And I was like, what's a natural wine? And he's like, Oh, you know, there's all these additives in wine. And it's like, what additives? I do not know anything about it. Neither does anybody else. I lived in the Napa Valley at the time. I lived in the heart of the most important wine appellation in North America. I never heard of wine additive. Neither had anybody else. Even in Napa Valley, where I continue to have a home. I, I live on the East Coast now, but I have a home in California. And even today, nobody in the wine business in, in Napa talks about additives. I mean, people who are in the industry don't talk about it. So... I was like, wow, you know. Every time I pick up a packaged product, you know, out of the grocery store, the first thing I do is I look to see what it's made out of and the nutritional information. Right? You don't have that. You don't have that choice on a bottle of wine because there's no contents or nutritional information. We'll talk about that in a moment as well as why that happened and how that's happening. In 2005, I actually made some wine. It's kind of a hobby wine. That means I lost money on it. And so I knew something about analogy and lab testing. So then I started lab testing these wines. I still wasn't thinking of it as a business. I was just trying to find a better way to drink. And so it wasn't until some months later when my friends started asking me where they could get these wines that I was sharing with them. I was like, maybe I should just, you know, I said, you can't get them. And, you know, only dry from wines has these unique standards and criteria, which we'll talk about.
1: I'm on the edge of my seat, Todd. <laughs> it's very useful. Let know. me tell
2: you how this, how this happened. Yeah. Cause you really have to turn back the page. You see what's happened in agriculture started in the 1920s. So we started using chemicals in farming in the early 1920s. It's we've been farming with chemicals for a really long time. So about a hundred years. And, you know, people that so it really started there when it became the objective of agriculture not to make things healthier but to make them faster and cheaper and that happened in everything from corn and wheat everything that's grown now is the vast majority of it right is chemically farmed so this has been going on for a long time so began in farming but then about 40 years ago 30 or 40 years ago When Wall Street money started permeating American business and really in private equity and this public money consolidating industry. So it had already happened in the food business. In the food business today, 9 or 10 companies control virtually basically everything that goes in and out of a grocery store. What happened in the food industry 30 or 40 years ago also started happening in the wine industry in the 1980s and early 1990s. And that was corporate consolidation. So this is so it's this a story of how wine became unhealthy um, really is the story of money and greed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happened in the wine industry is you have these publicly funded companies, these gigantic wine conglomerates that started rolling up the industry is what it's called. So started consolidating the industry. And this was ideal financially and ideal for These massive wine consolidators, the reason being is because we have these very antiquated alcohol laws in the United States called the three-tier system about how wine moves in and out of each state. It's a state-by-state regulatory environment. The federal government has very little to do with alcohol, actually. The federal government has two primary roles in, in the alcohol industry, labeling So the TTB, which used to be the AFT before Waco, so the TTB is responsible for managing the label contents on alcohol. And then the FDA approves any additives. As you mentioned, there are 76 additives approved by the FDA. Let me come back to those in a moment. Let's get back to how this happened and why it happened and why you shouldn't be drinking this poison. that you see in the grocery store and wine shops. You have this massive corporate consolidation fueled by greed and money. So here's the math. And everything I've shared with you, everything I'm going to share with you, you can easily verify with a Google search. Super simple. If you want to know about the 76 additives, you just search 76 FDA approved wine additives and the list will come right up. But on the industry and this consolidation thing, So when you walk in the grocery store and you see hundreds or thousands of bottles, right, on these long grocery store shelves, most of those wines are made by just a handful of companies. But they don't want you to know that. They hide behind thousands of brands and labels. But here are the facts. 52% of all the wines in the United States are made by just three giant companies. The top 30 wine companies in the United States make over 70% of those wines that you see. So most of the wines that you're looking at are made by just a handful of companies. Now they don't want you to know that. See, so they hide behind hundreds and thousands of brands and labels. You know, oftentimes those labels will be a picture of a farmhouse or a chateau, because that's what they want you to think is that you're drinking from a cute farmhouse. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is most of those wines are made in giant, manufacturing facilities located in central california and so these manufactured wines which are highly processed foods right that contain some of these additives some are all or who knows what's contained in them now why don't you know about these additives these 76 additives or why don't you have nutrition
1: proving them like that's the other question is what's with the fda
2: the FDA has a long nasty history of approving things that are friendly to business. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. My friend, are you ready to get your immune system back into gear? I'm sure after all the stress and fun of the holiday season, you know that your immune system's probably feeling a little bit worn down, especially if you're anything like me in the thick of the winter and sick season, it's so important that you support your immune system so you're strong, you're healthy, and you can tackle all your 2022 goals. If you don't have that physical element of your being down, it's so hard to do so much more. And. Of course, one of the best ways, I don't know if you know, to boost your immunity is by supporting your gut health. It's true that 70% of your immune system is actually rooted in your gut. So that means if you eat the wrong things, your immune system is really going to suffer, but if you eat the right things, it's going to get stronger. And that's why it's not easy to eat all the right things all the time. So that's why I started to take Biome Breakthrough daily. Bio Breakthrough has powerful probiotics and prebiotics as well as a one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY Max. IGY Max is a patented egg-based protein that enhances gut health, reverses damage caused by antibiotics, which really damages your gut, and it even helps with threats to your immunity. First thing in the morning, I mix my biome breakthrough with eight ounces of water. I drink it on an empty stomach to experience less sickness, fewer gut problems, and less bloating. So take a moment to power up your immunity today. If you are inspired to step into the new year better than ever, by trying Biome Breakthrough risk-free at biomebreakthrough.com slash U-Turn. That's B-I-O-M-E breakthrough.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N and use code U-Turn at checkout to get 10% off your order. Now let's get back into this week's episode.
2: Most people think that I'm here to sell wine and I'm not here to sell wine. I'm here to educate you about how to think about it, right? And then how I think you should think about it in the healthiest way possible. I'm not going to stop drinking and I'm not going to stop ingesting alcohol, even though it's toxic. I happen to enjoy the benefits of it. And it does have some other health benefits, biological and neurological benefits associated with it lower cardiovascular risk, lower neurological risk in certain diseases in moderate use. So we do know that while it's toxic, we do know that it has some beneficial properties. And wine in particular, and red wine in particular, has additional health compounds known as polyphenols in it that also impart other health benefits. We can talk about what some of those are. But so anyway, that's kind of how this happened. Right. And so all of these conventional wines, and I use the word conventional to describe any wine that is not natural. And that's again confusing to people. It's like in wine like fermented grapes, it is, except that it's not natural. Mm. And there are these toxic properties that get in the wine, including sugar. Right. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. How sugar gets in wine, as we've already talked about, I believe elevated blood glucose is unhealthy. And we have 122 million diabetics today and another 70 million pre-diabetic. And so that can be categorically linked to elevated blood glucose for most of them. Certainly all the type 2s for most of the type 2 diabetic is is linked to long-term elevated blood glucose and the hyperproduction of insulin so i'm very sensitive I, I live a sugar-free lifestyle and i don't want to drink sugar in my wine and the problem with wine is that you can't always taste the sugar now if it's a dessert wine or a sweet wine yes you'll obviously know it has sugar in it but if it's if it has a low grade amount of sugar in it then you won't be able to taste it because of the acid in wine and and sugar is very common in wine so we have a zero top we have less than one gram per liter which legally, and statistically, is sugar-free, right? So we did lab testing on the top 20 selling wines in America last year. Information is easily available through industry stats. We tested the top 20 wines. Only two of them met our standard for sugar-free. And so 90% of them failed our test for sugar. So there are sugar-free wines out there that are not dry farm wines, for sure. But the problem is the only way to really know if a wine is sugar-free is to lab test it. And, you know, that's so that's kind of what we do. But so you don't, you know, the, the big business and the government has robbed you of the opportunity to know what you're putting in your body. And I know that you and I and your listeners, whenever you buy something that's in a package that you're going to put in your body, you read the contents information and the nutritional information, no doubt, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, ever since I've been more focused on my health, that's been pretty central in addition to the diet that I'm on is just making sure I read the details and learn what's on the label. But it is kind of shocking now that you're talking about it, that wine doesn't have any information on the bottle.
2: Again, that's not an accident. It's a collusion between big business and big government. And so anyway, so I, I discovered these natural wines and I was like, wow, I started drinking them. And lab testing them and kind of quantifying a set of standards that I wanted the wine I was drinking to have. And wow, I felt better. My friends felt better. I was sharing this with other athletes and performance biohackers and friends of mine. They're like, "Oh wow, you know, I had quit drinking wine. It made me feel so bad that I love this, and I'd love to be able to return to drinking wine again." And so at that point, I started thinking about helping other people get access to it and then kind of created a business from it. But so natural wines, let's, let's talk about what that phrase means. It's a universally understood concept in the wine world. All over the world, you say natural wine. If somebody's relatively educated about wine, they know what that means. But consumers don't know what it means largely, although more know today than ever. So natural wine has three components that separates it from conventional wine. And as I mentioned earlier, there are conventional wines and then there is natural wine. There's nothing in between. I own a natural wine. There are three three primary components. One, natural wines are always organically or biodynamically farmed. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Number 2, and this is the most confusion confusing number 2 natural wines are always fermented with indigenous wild native yeast whoa what does that mean an indigenous wild native yeast is present in every vineyard so when you harvest a grape berry at the time of harvest no matter how it's grown whether it's organic or not organic whether it's a conventional wine or it doesn't matter every grape berry in the world at the time of harvest has yeast on the skin. It's a white waxy film. You could scrape it off with your finger now, and but it's actually yeast, and that's a wild yeast that was collected on the skin of the grape through the air in the vineyard. That wild indigenous native yeast that's unique to each vineyard that's what's used to ferment natural wines. Not so with conventional wines. Conventional winemakers kill the native yeast using sulfur dioxide, which is an FDA-approved wine additive. Kill the native yeast with sulfur dioxide first, and then they inoculate it with the GMO lab-cultured yeast. Now, they do this for a few reasons. One, These wild native yeast are fragile and difficult to work with. And you can't make wine in large quantities with them. They too easily break. Their fermentation will break. And when you have a broken fermentation, then you have a real problem on your hands if you're trying to make wine. So these wild native yeast are fragile and temperamental. And you can't make wine in large volumes, which is why there's no large natural wine companies. right? No large natural wine companies grower and makers because you can't make natural wines in large quantities. So that doesn't fit the the objective of these factories that I mentioned earlier who make massive amounts of wine, right? So they use this lab cultured yeast. It's very strong and sturdy and you can use this lab cultured yeast to make wine in very large quantities. You can also use this lab cultured yeast in higher alcohol environments. So, for a variety of reasons, alcohol has been increasing in wines over the last forty years, and the wine industry likes this. Why do they like alcohol in wine? Because it's addictive, and alcohol is also a, a domino drug. So, the more alcohol you drink, the likely you are to drink more, which sells more product, right? And so, when Alcohol gets too high in the wine, it will kill a native yeast. But these modified yeast that have been lab culture, been modified to withstand a higher alcohol environment. And then third, you can buy these yeast in different flavor profiles. So if you want to have a wine taste like it's from the Mediterranean, you can buy yeast for that. Right. And you'll know this yeast and flavoring trick. Because during the pandemic, when lots of people were making home-crafted sourdough bread, right, everybody would be trying to get the best mother, the best mother yeah. yeast, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It, because yeast, different yeast impart different flavor profiles and different complexities. So that can be modified in a lab to have any flavor you want. Conventional wines are made with this lab-cultured yeast natural wines are always spontaneously fermented and why it's called spontaneous fermentation is because to make natural wine you don't need anything except for the ripe grape berry because everything else needed to make wine is already included in the grape the yeast is on the skin and the sugars inside the fruit and so this is how you make wine you press the the juice from the berry and which is full of sugar, people are like, how's your wine sugar-free? Isn't this grape? And don't grapes have sugar in them? Yes, but here's how you make wine, and here's how wine becomes sugar-free or gets sugar in it. So when you ferment wine, fermentation in wine is when the yeast activates and the yeast needs food. And so the yeast will eat the sugar, and the byproduct of that is carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. So what's happening is the yeast, like some pac Men, are running around eating the sugar as their food source. And they'll just eat and eat and eat. All right? What a visual. So, yeah. 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 They'll just eat and eat and eat. Here's how sugar gets in wine. If the winemaker, as does our winemakers, if the winemaker allows the yeast to eat all of the available sugar, the yeast will then die, right, from lack of food source. The yeast will naturally die and become dead yeast known as lees. And so this is how sugar gets in wine. The, the conventional winemaker who wants to leave sugar behind, again, pours sulfur dioxide in the wine prior to the completion of the fermentation. So this little, there's this little device. It's not very fancy, but there's this little device that sits in the wine tank. And it tells the winemaker at any given time exactly how much sugar is left in that wine. Now, natural winemakers, at least the ones that we sell, not all natural wines are sugar-free. More confusion, ours are. You can see at any given time exactly how much sugar is in the tank. So the conventional winemaker will again introduce sulfur dioxide in the wine to kill this lab cultured yeast. Remember, they've already killed the native yeast. Now they're going to kill the lab cultured yeast, leaving behind what's known in the industry as RS or residual sugar, and that's how sugar gets in wine. And then number three, natural wines are additive free. And now, let's talk about organic farming for a moment because people ask me this question: If I'm drinking organic wine, is it natural? Hmm. No, probably not. Interesting. So. This is confusing. This is further confusing to people. It's like all natural wines are always organically farmed, but not all organically farmed wines are natural because they're not fermented with wild native yeast and they may not be additive free, although they were grown organically. Right? So just because wine is organic doesn't mean it's natural. Doesn't mean it was fermented with wild native yeast, doesn't mean it was additive free. So let's talk about dry farm wines and kind of the criteria that we brought because we brought some very important additional criteria to wines that we would drink and sell. Number one, we don't allow irrigation. So what that's the name of our company is dry farm wines. Dry farming means farming without irrigation, just depending on nature's rainfall. Wow. Now, I it's also worth noting, we don't sell any American wines. And the reason we don't sell domestic wine is because there are virtually no domestic wines that meet all of our criteria. And the first problem usually is irrigation. Over 99% of US vineyards are irrigated. Now, why do you irrigate a grapevine? It turns out grapevines have been living on the earth for about 10,000 years that we know of. And the advent of Irrigation didn't happen until the 1970s for grape farming. And so prior to 1970, early 1970s, U.S. vineyards were also dry farmed. But then irrigation came along. Guess what? Irrigation made it cheaper and easier and more profitable to grow a grapevine. The problem with irrigation is that it's not healthy for the planet it's not healthy for the vine and it doesn't produce the higher quality fruit that's also higher in polyphenols it might not surprise you that when you fill a grape berry with water excess water it does weigh more in fruit sold by the ton so the more it weighs more it's worth it does weigh more but when you fill a grape berry with water you dilute everything in the berry including the flavor and the character of the wine including the polyphenols and the and the health of the vine so we don't allow irrigation on any of our vines. Now, most natural wines are dry farmed, but not all are dry farmed. So we don't allow irrigation. So see, there's a lot here, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm sitting here like wondering about irrigation, wondering about sugar, wondering about wine, thinking about all the restaurants.
0: And well,
2: wine. fortunately, we're thinking about it all for you. So you don't have to think about it.
0: Hey U-Turners, for this quick interruption, I wanna take a moment to say thank you to our incredible sponsors over at SaneBox, an artificial intelligence powered email tool that has been a game changer for freeing up my time and boosting my productivity. So with more than 200 to 300 billion emails going out per day and over 7 trillion emails going out each year, it's really no secret that email is kind of slowly killing all of us. In fact, recent data shows that more than half of employees feel like their email is killing them. And another study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them in the first place or didn't even require their answer. This is where SaneBox comes in. With the press of just one magical button, I've been able to say goodbye to all of those time-wasting emails and hello to my sanity and my schedule again. Seriously, everyone needs them. So when you sign up at SaneBox.com slash U-Turn, That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. You'll get 14 days for free and $25 off their super affordable membership if you decide to join and you love it as much as I do. And once you'll do that, you'll be able to easily sign into your current email box. And with a click of the button, you can integrate SaneBox. And I am not very tech savvy, but I've got to admit, this was super easy. And from there, you'll see under your inbox folder and your sent folder, a couple new folder friends. One is going to be called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for spammy emails that you don't need to see. And the other folder you'll see is called the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag and drop emails into both of these folders that you don't want to be subscribed to anymore between mailing lists and cold sales emails, I'm at 100 black hold emails per week, such a big time saver. And my sane later box that takes all of these other emails I don't really need in my inbox, I check it once a week or so, and I'm always so pleasantly surprised to see over hundreds and hundreds of emails in there that I never needed to even see. The black hole will use artificial intelligence to get to know you and eventually auto place emails in there to support your productivity. I check it weekly, like I said, and there's really nothing I'd have changed. What a gift. It is like a magic trick for your inbox. As I mentioned, head on over now to SaneBox.com slash U-Turn. That's S-A-N-E-Box.com Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free as well as a $25 credit for a serious discount on their super affordable membership. If you're anything like me, you are going to be in love with it. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
2: If people ask, you know, where do I get natural wine? If you don't buy it from us, I still recommend that you drink natural wine anyway. So you're going to avoid, and even organic wine is better than non-organic wine, although it doesn't mean it's natural. You know, if you were going to look for natural wine, now, again, natural wines, not all are low alcohol, not all are sugar-free, not all are irrigation-free. They are organic, native yeast fermentation, and additive-free. That's true of all natural wines. So. If you want to find natural wine, you didn't want to buy it from us, then the best thing to do is download a, an app on your smartphone called Raisin or do a Google search. The only place you're going to find natural wines are going to be in usually in just very large markets, San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. You, there? I live in Miami in the wintertime, and there is one. there are two tiny natural wine stores here. I mean tiny. One of them is like only open in the afternoons and really gets most of the inventory in on Friday and Saturdays. It's kind of crazy. You know, so it's I mean, there's just so little of it, even in a city, the size and sophistication of Miami. So it's very hard to find, which is and the re, and it's not expensive. Natural wines are quite affordable, actually. All the wines we sell are twenty five dollars a bottle. $25, $26 a bottle. And that includes shipping. And so these wines for a handcrafted fine wine product, that's actually quite inexpensive. Natural wines are not expensive. And the reason they're not expensive is because nobody knows what they are. And so Americans buy brands, right? So when you go in the grocery store, you buy a brand you know. One you saw in a magazine or on television. Or you buy a brand that that has some pedigree, right? It's been around for a long time. Oftentimes these brands of what were one time American family brands have now been rolled up into this consolidation. Now they're owned by, you know these massive wine companies who take that brand name, and let's say that they let's say at the time it was a large wine company. let's just say at the time they were producing, you know, I don't know, a million cases a year. That would be a pretty good-sized business. And then it gets bought by this conglomerate. And five years later, that same million cases is now 10 million cases a year. Right. But it's got that famous name on it. Right. Only they've introduced 10 new SKUs. So they got 10 new wines with this family famous name on it. And now they've 10 X the volume on it. And because again, remember early in the podcast, I mentioned this three tier distribution system. That's how, Wine and alcohol is distributed in each state. And then this three-tier system means it has to come into the state by a licensed distributor or wholesaler, right? And then it gets, it goes through two or three more, it goes through two or three more parties before it finally reaches the consumer. And because this three-tier system is very exclusive and very dedicated in each state, you can't just go get a distribution license in most states so because they're very contained and very politically charged when you're a big conglomerate and you have access to all this product and then you already have these relationships inside the three tier it's super easy much easier for you versus an independent family winery much easier for you to get access to those consumers So it's all politically charged and all kind of rigged. It's all happened in the 1940s, post-prohibition. And it's been that way ever since. And, you know, we probably could agree that the way things were being done in the 1940s is not necessarily the best way to do them today, right?
1: 100%. And I know, you know, with wine being something that people have enjoyed for more than 8,000 years, and, and I was just reading about how your products you know, it's like less than one-tenth of 1% of the world's wines are grown to your standards. I'm curious, you know, just outside of buying your wines, which everyone who's listening, we have a code and a link that you can go to dryfarmwines.com slash U-turn, obviously Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. But I want to ask, Todd, like, what is your suggestion for people who are in these cities that you're not finding that much? You're going to restaurants, and even if they buy dry farm wines for at home, what are some things they can ask at restaurants to make sure that they're taking care of themselves when they order wine? Even
2: asking people who in the wine business, they might not even know, Mm. right? Like if you ask the wine director or or Assam, you know, if you you ask them about, oh, do you have any natural wine? They may not even know. Yeah. Right. If they do have natural wine, they'll definitely know it, Mm. right? Because they've intentionally purchased it and they're fortunately, you know, in larger markets, and even in a handful of smaller markets. If it's like a really serious farm to table restaurant, like chef-driven farm to table, like all organic, like they're going to have natural wines because yeah. that just fits in the ethos of what they're doing. Yeah. Right? And but if you ask for low alcohol wine, they'll look at you like you have a third eye. They don't have any idea what you're talking about. They're like, "What do you mean?" You know, I don't even know. I mean, I ask them all the time and so I don't even know. Here's the here's what I do. If I have to drink, I don't drink conventional wines very often, but if I have to drink something that I think could be questionable, I dilute it with water, right? Because two things are happening when I dilute it with water. And Even the Greeks were adding water to their wine 2,000 years ago because they wanted to stay more vivid longer and party longer. And so when you add water to wine, you're diluting it. You're diluting both the alcohol, right? and and any additives that may be in it, mm. and any sugar that's in it. You're just diluting anything in it that's down. You're diluting it down by adding water to it. But if it's not a, if it's not a good quality wine, adding water to it won't do a lot to make it taste very good. If you dilute a high-quality wine with water, it'll taste fine. I don't mean like 80% water. I'm talking about like 25% or 30% water. It'll still taste like wine. It's quite refreshing, actually. But that's what I recommend if you are drinking wine that is not, you're not certain what's in it or it's of higher alcohol, just add water to it. and That's going to dilute down anything that's in it.
1: Okay, this is fascinating. And it's interesting to think about so many people who are winos who are spending so much money on wines that are not great for their body. I also know that you really care about Dry Farm's culture and this feels really... Fun to kind of look at with you just how your work your work day is set up to start you know around ten or eleven a m and you guys have group meditation, open gratitude every single day since the company started and I loved that I saw by the way that you started meditating after listening to your first Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast interview fun fact I was an <sighs> intern in I think it was like two thousand gosh like two thousand eight I was uh, Schwarzenegger's intern funny enough.
2: Yeah, it was for me. It was two thousand when I listened to it. I think it was two thousand twelve or thirteen. By the time I heard it, it was I think it was
0: two thousand twelve. Well, so my oh, go ahead.
2: No, that's when I started meditating. is two thousand twelve. But 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 for me, I mean, it was uh, you know was I, I think meditation is the single most important practice that a human can have. And the reason for that is that, again, early in the podcast, we talked about what I think are the two primary drivers of chronic illness. And my goal, particularly in aging, my goal is to extend my health span, right? And so the longer I can remain disease-free of the chronic diseases that kill most people. Now, it's fair to note that most people are still killed by those same chronic diseases. It's just that they don't get them until much later in life. So. Uh, what I want to do is extend my health span the time between now and whenever I become chronically ill, which again, for most people, they still die from the same things. They just have a long delay before those diseases start and mm-hmm. successful aging. Mm-hmm. But meditation allows us to train our mind to be still. And in that stillness or that presence, we can then use those techniques and that stillness throughout the rest of our life and also our meditation teaches us the power of breath right and the power of slowing our breath down and the power of how breath and the intention of breathing because breathing's autonomic so what so the intention of breathing allows us to control our physiology Right. So we can, I give the probably great example of breath control is a couple of things. One, when you become scared, right, then your breath is elevated, but you can correct that fear by slowing your breathing down. Same thing when you get in very cold water, Mm -hmm. right, where we can use the intentional control of our breath to, to bring in the control of that situation. Because you know, when you get in cold water, you start breathing really fast. Yeah. But if you take that breath down, then that water will not be as cold and you're able to gain control of your physiology again. Meditation teaches us the power of breathing mm-hmm. and teaches us how we're able to slow down everything by slowing down our breathing. So this is particularly useful when we become stressed and we all... Have moments of stress of one kind or another, some people more than others. But it teaches us to be still and to use the breath to control our stress and, and therefore reducing the amount of cortisol, a very powerful hormone that's released in the flight or flight, fight or flight mechanisms. That see the problem is while. Cortisol was very effective in helping us. Same thing as insulin and cortisol, the same things I believe are killing us today, were very effective in the survival of the human species. It hadn't been for insulin or cortisol, the human species wouldn't exist today. So they were both very vital hormones in the beginning. Because in the beginning, when you had feast and famine, then insulin would store, from when you were feasting, you had high blood glucose then insulin would store that excess glucose as fat so that when you were going through famine, the same thing for fight or flight, you know, when we were getting attacked by bears or dinosaurs, right? Then cortisol is very effective and uh, very effective in keeping us alive and keeping us at a very high Uh, Sense of awareness and alertness and reaction. The problem now is that, see, when we were being chased by dinosaurs, the rest of the time when we weren't being chased, then we were living a very peaceful and quiet life, right? Just harvest hunting and collecting. But in the modern life today, we have all these stressors that are constant social media, the news, 24 hour news cycles, you know, the We're all consumed with what people think about us and, you know, what our image is and so on and so forth. So we're just stressed all the time, or most people are. So meditation helps us with this kind of regrets of the past or the most people today stress from anxiety of the future, right? Living in an uncertain world. The world we live in is so uncertain. And uncertainty creates more stress for more people than any other emotion. So we live in this constant world of uncertainty. And so we're constantly stressed out about it. We're worried about it. You know, worrying is just simply speculation. And, and speculation n- normally never plays out exactly the way we, pl- we worry about it. We normally worry for things that never, ever happen, mm. right? And so this worry or speculation, I, I love the quote, we don't know enough to worry, mm. right? If we had enough facts, we wouldn't be worried. Worried comes from speculation. That's anxiety. So meditation just allows us to to better understand this and to bring stillness, which is the reason at my company that we meet at 10 o'clock. The pandemic has had some effects on this. There have been some slight changes, but historically, we would always meet. Now, we don't force everybody to meet because of the COVID situation, but historically, we would meet at 10 a.m. We... Would not work. No emails before 10. No, I want to, I think the morning, I think in order to set your day with the right intention, it should begin with a peaceful morning. Hmm. And so I've run businesses my entire life. And many of them started at eight eight or 8.30 in the morning. The problem is that people arrive to work in that case and they're not peaceful because most of them have rushed out of the house and gotten in a car and made a commute with a bunch of other people who just rushed out of their house, making a commute. Right. And then, and they show up at the office and they're already stressed out. So they're beginning their day with stress. And so I think protecting the morning and my people are, these are not these people that I work with. They're not people who are getting up at nine thirty in the morning and showing up at 10, they're getting up at five or six or seven. And then, having their own personal meditation practice or fitness routine or time with their family or whatever they prioritize as their life goals for that peaceful morning. When they arrive at 10, they've had a leisurely way of getting there and a peaceful way of coming to join the rest of us who are also at peace. And then we have a meditation practice and open gratitude. And we typically start creating, which is what we call work, we typically start creating around 11 or 11.15 11. in the morning. And then we stop between five and six at night.
1: You know, it's just really amazing to hear someone not just committed to the way your product is coming out into the world, but also how you're showing up with your staff and really just infusing that. I, mean, I, I know also that Dry Farms, you guys have a, a 100% happiness promise, which is so rare in the wine business, meaning that you'll either replace or refund any wine that... Any
2: bottle, like, no questions asked. Not, you- not even a thought. And It's it's not even a thing. We believe so strongly in our product that it's easy to make that promise. Well, so um, oh, go ahead, please. Uh, no, go ahead.
1: I just I have to thank you so much for coming on. And if there hasn't been something important that you feel like I've not asked that you can share, please do. And otherwise, I just want to remind everyone listening: you know, drinking can be so much fun. Wine is such a pleasure. And my wish for anyone listening is to take care of their bodies. You're one vessel in this life if you haven't already head on over to dryfarmwines.com/you-turn u-turn and um, you're going to get an extra bottle in your first box for a penny they couldn't make it free because it's alcohol it's not allowed to be free so one penny for an extra bottle when you put your order at dryfarmwines.com/u-turn and um, in the meantime unless there's something else that I haven't asked you that you want to share i just want to thank you Todd so much for coming on This feels like a really important topic
2: Thanks for having me on. And I can't think of anything other than just say, spread more love in the world and wine helps spread love. So always good to always good to drink wine with your friends and family. And thanks again for having me today.
1: Of course.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners